Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to a very special guest I have on today. I'm honored to have Mayor Gondek on the show with me today. Good morning, Mayor. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. It is my absolute pleasure. With a, with a podcast titled Collisions YYC, um, I was fortunate enough to have your predecessor on. And I was when you when you when you um, were elected to office, I, it was just a matter of time before I knew somebody in Calgary's one degree of separation. So I'm like, sooner or later, I'll know somebody that knows you or knows your team. And here we are. So thank you for graciously accepting my invitation to come on the show. And I am very pro Calgary. If anyone who's listens to my episode certainly knows, I like to have real conversations, but always with a positive bent. And I certainly see your leadership style is very much aligning with that. So this is a conversation I'm excited about. Let's hit it off from the top. It's been eight months, whether it's politics or an organization of any kind, taking over a new role and a new leadership with a new team, that's not something to be taken lightly. So maybe just give us a little bit. I know there's the classic first hundred days, but how's the first eight months in review and kind of let's start there and we'll work into some of the topics. You know, it's, um, it, it was heavy times to be elected to local government. It's um, heavy times to be an elected official in any order of government right now. And I have to say, I'm incredibly fortunate that I have so many people who work with me that care so much about the people that they serve. So, you know, the, the very, very early days when we had our first council meetings and we set uh, the fourth year budget of a four-year budget cycle, it was incredibly collaborative. People were willing to have the very real conversations about what our priorities were. So from that side, I would say it's been a really good experience to have a council that wants to work together. Um, the, you know, the, the fractious nat nature of elections um, did not bring out the best in our previous council in our last year. I would say we had three pretty good years and year four became incredibly divisive simply because it was an election year. So this is nice. It's refreshing. Um, obviously, there are differences of opinion and differences of ideology between people. But for the most part, we've made some pretty strong unanimous decisions. So it's a good indicator of things to come, I believe. And people generally are 
good people. I would say that when I'm out at events and I'm out in the community, people are kind. They're interested in things getting better. They're incredibly optimistic. They're positive about what their future holds. They're also frustrated. You know, it's been two long years of a pandemic. It's been so many years of an economic recession. Um, so people are, they're hurting a bit, but they do have a lot of optimism for the future. The one thing that's less good is the social media environment. I have never seen <laughs> times so um, polarized and terrible when it comes to people just saying anything they think they can, um, hiding behind a computer screen or behind a phone. It's really bad in the social media world, but in real life, it's going to be okay. I appreciate that they're becoming two very different worlds. And when one, one set of behaviors merges into the other, it's like, what? That doesn't feel like you can't, you can't act that you can't act that way. Curious, a conversation I'm having and certainly something we'll touch on is talent. Everywhere you turn, there's talent gaps, there's challenges with labor force, skilled all across the board. Uh, just to touch on and maybe just your own point of view, how hard is it to get people that go to politics these days because of social media, because of the slander and the attack, it feels like a career or a, or a calling that might be under a lot of pressure more so than, than other careers, just simply because of the spotlight that gets shine on individuals that decide to serve in that way. Well, we've, um, we started normalizing the, the vitriol and we've started normalizing, um, the punishing nature of the world that politicians live in. I mean, every time I hear somebody say, you signed up for this. No, I didn't. I did not sign up for people <laughs> to come to my home and do terrible things that are intended to frighten and intimidate my family. I did not sign up for that. They didn't sign up for that. My neighbors didn't sign up for that. So let's get past this nonsense of you signed up for this. I signed up for public service. I signed up to give you know, four years of my life to this role and do the best that I can to set good policy and make good decisions in the interest of Calgarians. So I think we've got to get a little bit more, um, we've got to understand a little bit more about what elected life is like these days. And I, I don't want people to feel sorry for me, that's not the intent. But people need to realize the nature of this role. You are on all the time. You have absolutely zero privacy. You never know who's going to be around the corner. You, you're just always on. It's, it sounds a bit exhausting. You, like you've got to have the passion for it. Like so many things in life, if you don't, if you don't love it, it's almost not worth it. Cause you've got to, you know, that ch you chose the public service. And I really appreciate that. You, you touched on it earlier. Is it just a reflection you know, and I never want to blame social media because sometimes it's just an amplification platform for, for other things, but also people just frustrated this sense of, you know, the last two years, but I think we were already well on this road. I'm not going to take the easy road and blame the pandemic for bad behavior, but is it also people just frustrated looking at what's happening? Well, financially, also economically in Calgary, we've been kind of on our back heels for quite a few years, but this isn't just a Calgary phenomenon. So before I, I feel like we're going down into let's decipher our own views of why we've eroded as a society to this yelling and throwing, throwing um, rotten fruit at each other, just, you know, like a bad, a bad show kind of thing. Let's pivot for a second back into the reality of some of the issues that you're actually dealing with head on. Some of the things that I think we all get frustrated on. I want to start with the climate emergency. You came in very quickly into your, into your, your tenure and declared a climate climate emergency, which at surface level goes, well, yeah, we have some serious issues, but at the same time, and I'm just being devil's advocate, geez, at a city, where do we play in that? And I'm just really curious to understand. I've heard a lot of rhetoric. I'd love to hear it from your perspective. 
Yeah, you know, I spent four years on a council where we used to get updates on our climate strategy. We used to get updates on um, our accomplishments towards being environmental stewards. And, you know, we never really did anything with it. We received for information <laughs> is what we did, right? And so it, it was interesting to me that we were unwilling to take any kind of action. And again, I think it's because people were fearful of how it would be received. And there was a lot of folks that thought it has nothing to do with us. And so my opinion was different. And I, I felt that way for a few years. And during the election campaign, um, when I spoke with people, whether it was you know somebody that had nothing to do with politics or someone that was incredibly engaged, whether it was someone from the energy sector or someone that had nothing to do with that particular industry, everyone said the same thing almost trepidatiously about, well, we know the climate is a thing and we know that there is an emergency, but how do you tackle it? What do you do? And so you tackle it head on. You call it what it is and you do something about it. <laughs> and I think the wake up call for us was the fact that we were just trying to catch up to what industry was already doing. If you look at pathways to net zero, what the oil sands companies are doing, they're way more aggressive than we ever said we were going to be. Um, the energy sector, by and large, has been transforming over time, and we just haven't shone a spotlight on it. We have not told the story. So for me, it was a matter of the corporation within which I serve keeping up with the times. And we had an energy leaders breakfast before we did that declaration and said, we're just trying to walk with you. We're trying to keep in step with you. And it was well received. Um, did it make headlines that way? No, it didn't. It became, this mayor hates the energy sector. And that's something you weather. There's decisions you make in your life, uh, which some people will feel are unpopular, but if they're the right decision, you have to make them. I really appreciate getting the story behind the story, exactly why I wanted to ask you, because people are like, are you going to ask about the climate emergency? I'm like, of course I am, because I'm really curious about it. Did I read somewhere that Edmonton actually did this a few years ago? Did I was reading through some, of course, my pre-reads where you got 17 browser windows open at the same time. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, we made all these headlines this negative way. But then all of a sudden, there was a footnote that Edmonton had done this already, and I'd never heard it portrayed as a negative. Am I, or I, I guess I'm, I'm fact-checking with you as my expert now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Edmonton did it, and it was no big deal. It must have been, you know, a busy news so cycle that nobody picked up on it. Um, I think the thing that triggered so many people with me is I did a show. And what I said on that show was we need to move past the outputs and focus on the processes. And if you focus on the processes of, of energy production, you can see that we're transitioning and transforming. That's where we should be focusing. And... One media outlet, just one, decided that I said we need to move past oil and gas and put out a headline. And everyone ran with it. There's a clip. Like, there's a clip attached to it. And you can hear what I actually said, but nobody listened to the clip. And so then you're forced to either um, <laughs> spend a week explaining what you said or just move on. Chose to move on. I appreciate it. Thank you for the additional context. And I think I saw you speak recently at the Avatar Innovations Program, which my wife was involved in as a 20-year oil and gas person. And, uh, and she always gets fresh. She's like, oh my God, we're doing so much. But as I've heard on the show so many times, we are, we, the universal, the proverbial we, are terrible at telling our own story. Because Alberta is a little bit of like, we're just going to get her done. 
we're just going to go out and do the thing. But yet we have mm -hmm. detractors on a global scale that certainly like to pick up those little sound bites. And heaven forbid we watch the rest of the video. I just want to see the sound bite that gets me fired up and I'm going to turn it off and go into something else. Oh, which is my pet peeve about media in general. <laughs> oh, because it's so much easier to get riled up, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, okay, fantastic. So, because when you, I love what you said, and I've had people on the show, they're like, wow, if people took the time to understand what some of the big energy companies are actually doing and some of the advancements in the technology and the energy transition and the green tech and even some of our funds in town, there's a very positive story there, but you're right, it just doesn't get told in the, with the same vim and vigor that the negative story, because I guess those headlines do better. <laughs> well, and I have to tell you, the one thing that I've really enjoyed is having the opportunity to tell the story in a different way. I mean, when I speak, I feel sorry for people that go to all of the events that I'm at because you hear the same thing. But I think it's important to really hammer home some of those statistics. Like in clean tech, we are crushing it in clean tech. We are one of the top cities in North America to locate if you want to start up or be part of a clean tech business. And our clean tech sector is amazing. 51% of the founders are first time founders. These are people that have never done this before. 28% of them were born outside of this country, and 22% are women. Now, why is it that people with, um, you know, possibly a different cultural background or people that emigrated here are meeting with the success in this sector? And why are women doing so well in this sector when typically women only have access to about 2% of the capital that's out there? What did we get right in clean tech? That's what I want to know. And then I want to put that kind of process or standard in place across sectors so we can really see people perform well everywhere. Far be it from you to speculate at the level that you're at, but any thoughts or any, any what's in the water here that actually makes that work? And I maybe use water intentionally from a clean tech perspective. So what is the secret sauce or what do you think? What are you suspicious? Um, if I take a very personal perspective on it, Calgary is a place that gave me a chance when, you know, Others were not willing. I mean, I, I remember my, my first job interview here. Someone looked at my resume and said, wow, that's weird. Uh, social sciences. <laughs> you can take that and so that either gets marketing. you the job or it doesn't. Uh, you know what I mean? It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and that's weird. Yeah. And they said, well, you seem like you can do it, though. And, and you, your you know, experience demonstrates that you can do this work. So I, I always say Calgary took a chance on me. And then I was able to progress through my career to do all of the different things that I wanted to. I mean, I spent 12 years as a consultant doing social responsibility work and translating empirical evidence into uh, recommendations for how to build better relationships between the private and public sector. So I had tremendous opportunity to do great things in this city. And I think that it's that, it's that memory that makes me want to have that for other people. And I think many of us have experienced that here. So there's this open-mindedness towards people's talent and their experience that doesn't necessarily exist in other places. And you know, we're not showy. We just, we wanna do stuff. You said early on in the show, you know, we just like to get things done. We do. It's not about the name brand that you're wearing and it's not about the clubs that you belong to. It's about your passion for the work and what you bring to the table. 
I do think that is one of our, and our abilities to collaborate with each other and to like, Hey, maybe, you know, I, I can't work with you, but I know somebody that can, I find nowhere better than Alberta for that or specifically Calgary public versus private sector. Always that balance of what role does government play? What role does government not play versus, and then also just tying that into provincial, which obviously we just had an announcement. This will air in a couple of weeks, but as of last night, our premier has currently stepped down. So I'm curious to the balance between even the public sector and the private sector at a city, at a municipal level. But then I'm also curious, I'm going to ask you four questions at the same time. I apologize. The layers between what happens municipally versus provincially and well, maybe federal, but we'll save that one for later, later in the talk. I think municipal governments have had a rough ride historically. Um, we are, it's a bizarre parent-child relationship that we have with our provincial government. We don't exist unless we're called into being through the Municipal Government Act. Um, we don't exist in the Constitution. So federally, we're completely irrelevant. Provincially, we are, um, like I said, in this strange relationship where we're beholden to our provincial government. Yet we're the ones on the ground every day that are watching what's happening. We are seeing what's happening um, you know, in our business sector, in the social sector. We understand what's impacting people's lives, yet we have very little ability to do anything. Um, if you think about the funding and financing tools that we have, the only certainty and predictability in terms of a revenue source is property tax. And property tax is tied directly to market-based assessment. So we knew in 2014 when the world started raising the flag that oil and gas was going to be in trouble, we knew back then that people would leave, that industry would start to leave our city. And I don't know why civic leaders at that time didn't clue into the fact that if you see businesses leave and you start hollowing out your buildings, the property values are going to drop. And if those property values drop, your revenue stream is done. So we should have and could have done something to address it back in the day. Um, and that's what we're trying to do now. We're playing catch up. I've had many conversations with the provincial government. Um, and I, I think the, the good news story is our current Minister of Municipal Affairs used to be a city councillor, so he understands very well how tough it is to do anything as a local government. Hi, hi, get, get it, get it, get it factor. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we should be able to get strong provincial support, but the issue is always you have to go to Treasury Board to get the money. So the other success that I will say is our ability to prove to the federal government that you don't always have to funnel funds to the provincial government and then down to us. You can have a relationship directly with municipalities. We have seen success with things like the Rapid Housing Initiative, where the funding came straight to the city to deploy strategies to get affordable housing built. So we're slowly changing the model of who works with who and where the collisions and collaborations should be. I appreciate that. And I'm assuming these processes don't change overnight either, like 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 so many things. I know recently the core working group was brought onto my agenda. I know there was a, I think yourself and Minister Schweitzer were on a panel uh, last week with the chamber that I missed, but I heard that there was a, it was a very good debate. So curious around something like that, you talked about the hollowing out of our downtown. We're still slowly but surely moving in a positive direction when I see some of the numbers, but from an actual policies or initiatives, what, it, what came out of that core working group and what are some of the things that you see over the next couple of years that are actually going to make a difference in our hollowed out buildings. Let me give you um, the technical versus the political. So okay. from a technical perspective, when that core report came out, <laughs> um, the good news story is it 
just reinforced what we already knew from the recommendations we had received as a local government in spring of 2021 about how we could revitalize our downtown. So the downtown revitalization strategy that council had approved and put you know, a quarter of a billion dollars behind. Like, let's be clear here. We put $255 million into a downtown revitalization strategy that included um, incentives for conversions from office to residential. It included bolstering our arts and entertainment sector. There was many good things that we invested in. When the core report came out, it said, yeah, these are good moves and these are things that should be done. And it gave advice to the provincial government that you should be a partner and you should be doing these things as well. Um, and it really, it hammered home the fact that post-secondaries would be important to the future of a downtown. So mm -hmm. the two reports matched each other. And that's a really good news story. Now, on the political side, I had a couple of options. I could have done the headline grabbing, aha, I told you so. You just <laughs> wasted money on putting together a report when we already told you this would work. And I didn't want to do that. And I had a conversation with Minister Schweitzer um, the morning that the report was released. And I said, this is a good news story. Can we make it a good news story? And he said, yeah, I'm all about figuring out how we work together. And so we came on that panel together and we spoke with media and said, we have the city's best interest at heart. Both of these reports prove that we need to invest in our city. And we're happy to work together to do that. Um, he also announced that day that um, there was capital funding uh, being made available to women-led enterprises. That's huge. You know, women-led enterprises are outperforming their male counterparts by 63% and yet have very, very limited access to capital. So, you know, I, I thanked him for investing in women. So sometimes you've got to let go of the traditional antagonist-protagonist relationship and get together and get some good stuff done. Does a report like that, like where the rubber kind of meets the road, does that, I'm assuming that funding that funding initiative was already in place and it was chose to be announced on that day, but is that what it takes as reports like that for everybody to get aligned and say, okay, we, this feels safe enough. We're going to put some funding. We're going to put support. We're going to come behind it. Because from the outside, as a member of the public, sometimes like, oh, another, another report, <laughs> which you kind of alluded to a little bit, but is it, is that really yeah. what it takes to get the wallets open and the initiatives moving in the right directions? Sometimes it does. Um, people have trusted go-to advisors and they're, they sometimes are um, suspicious of people that, that they don't you know, hang with and uh, that they don't generally rely on for advice. I wouldn't say that the provincial government was suspicious of our report because it included so many people and some of them were also on the core working group, but every government has its own clunky process. And when you're making evidence-based decisions, you tend to generate the type of report that you and your colleagues wish to see. So, you know, to your question, yes, sometimes we need to see these reports to invest money. Um, I can tell you something else that works really well. If you just keep saying the same thing over and over and over, eventually people get tired of hearing it and they either invest in it or they ignore you. I'm willing to be ignored because I'm going to take my chances that they'll invest in us instead. <laughs> so every time I say, we invested a quarter of a billion dollars and you guys only gave us four million. 
they don't like that. So maybe they'll give us some more money. It's not, it's not as shiny of a talking point as, <laughs> as you might want it to be. I appreciate the reach and frequency. I'm clear, yeah. consistent, concise, repetitive communication can be very effective. You mentioned something about post-secondary, thinking about downtown, talked about um, access to funds for women business. When you think about innovation and like really driving this change, like back in, we all know this is an energy city. We were ag, we we're energy. There's some amazing biotech tech hubs, uh, transportation logistics, as we move to be a more, uh, having multiple horses in the race instead of one, how do you look at that from a municipal city council perspective? Is it about creating these areas of collision, like what's happening around the library and arts commons and platform to you most, you mentioned post-secondary, but how do we get these campuses closer together? I've heard that if it's outside of a 15 minute bike ride, it's too far for innovation to happen. How much did those that type of thinking and looking at other jurisdictions around the world where the way they've changed or pivoted, how much does that play into some of the longer-term planning for the city when you're trying to create the environment that will get this future we're all hoping for? It's um, significant, and it's very important to us when we're making those long-term decisions because when we make a decision on what to invest in, it's probably going to be you know a five- or ten-year rollout. Mm. So when we think about the Green Line, um, we need a north-south rapid transit spine. I mean, it's, it's a fact. There's no <laughs> denying that. Yeah. There's no major metropolitan center that doesn't have a strong transit network to be successful. So, yes, it's a project that's needed, but it became contentious because some people felt that, you know, do you really want to invest this much money into a project like this because, you know, there's going to be self-driving vehicles, and people are going to work from home. I mean, I kind of feel like, let's just say there's going to be flying cars if this is the approach we're going to take. Um, I've been waiting for a long time for this flying car thing to show up since I was a kid. <laughs> Come on, don't tease me with the flying cars. <laughs> Who doesn't want a flying car? Could you, you imagine the chaos if you gave everyone a flying car? I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I think it would work for a week and then everyone would crash. And anyways, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that would end well, personally, but... Uh, back to self-driving, but yeah, uh, how much you know, the, that short-term versus long-term thinking? It's those thinking. kinds of decisions. Right. Mm. Yeah, it's those kinds of decisions that we have to stay true to. And, you know, I have to keep, um, you know, as the chair of a council meeting, as the person who heads up a local council, it's important for me to remind my colleagues, these are not things that are going to happen overnight. These are things that we need to commit to for the future. You have to think about the kind of people that we're trying to attract here. Um, and what will make their life meaningful? It'll be meaningful for them to know that they can get to work in 10 minutes, that they could you know, run home to let the dog out, or they can drop their kids at daycare on the way to the office. You can pick up a couple of groceries on the way home, and your life doesn't revolve around commute times. You know, let's, let's think about quality of life from that perspective and start investing. So I think the vast majority of our council understands that, and we're willing to make those investments. But you get sucked into the drama of, you know, your taxes are going up. Well, let's talk about market-based assessment. Your taxes are probably going up because your property's worth more. And why is it worth more? Because we've created a great city that people want to live in. It's, uh, we live in a very strange, regressive regime of taxation. And it forces us to make really silly decisions sometimes. So, again, I want to work with the federal and provincial governments to properly fund and finance the things that cities need to do. We have heard from political economists for three decades that cities are the new nation state. Cities are where things happen and they need to be, you know, the pivotal point of decision making. And yet our government has not kept pace 
with that kind of ideology. That's my nerd moment. I, I appreciate that. No, I, I love I love all the perspectives. That's why that's why I do the show, and that's why it's long form. Because sometimes you just got to have a chat and see and see where it goes. I can only imagine there's a huge dichotomy between, like, the, and this is something I've heard talked about. Like, we have we have election cycles that are a certain length, but we have change that takes longer. That's got to be a challenge to manage the now and that my taxes are going up today. But wow, I really want to live in that city you described ten years from now. But I heard um, Jim Gibson from the School of Events Digital. Tyler, we're 10 years late to a 20-year plan. And I, I love that on so many layers. But if you think about it, so few of us think on those longer horizons. Because if we see a dollar today that that out of our pocket, that causes us to not make a decision that might be $3 in our pocket, but 10 years from now. I know there's a lot of psychology experiments around done around that kind of thinking. But as a council, how, how do you, and I know you are a vote of one on the council, but as the leader... How do you inspire that longer-term thinking while knowing a lot of your constituents see things on a shorter horizon? And it's not a right or wrong. It's just the balance of those two has got to be pretty tricky to navigate. It is. And again, I'll give you the technical versus the political. From a technical perspective, I have found that when you can position things with um, strong evidence or data, people make smart decisions, generally speaking. So when you're able to build a business case for something and you're able to prove out if we invest this $1, we could attract $3 from the federal government. We could attract $2 from the private sector, and now our $1 is worth considerably more than it was. And so if you can prove out that logic by giving examples of you know, either jurisdictions where this has happened before or um, you know, other sector experiences. For me, um, I have talked about Houston and Denver because we've had extensive conversations with uh, current and former leaders in those cities about how long it took for their downtowns to recover after they made the initial investment. And it's generally seven to 10 years. So the more you can talk about that and the more you can explain what's happening and the more you can celebrate the little wins, I think we forget to do that. Um, we announced three office to residential conversion projects about two or three weeks ago, and it was 400 new homes downtown. Like, that's significant. We took away over 400,000 square feet, and that was a $31 million investment from our city. It attracted $117 million from the private sector. So this is, this is big news, and you know it proves out the fact that our decisions will pay off. It just takes a little bit of time. So that's the technical nature of, of how we need to make those decisions. From a political perspective, you need to be ready as a leader to take all of the hits, because they <laughs> will come for you and you alone. No one cares about the ward whatever counselor. This is the mayor that made this terrible decision. And, you know, let's, let's get her. So if you're not ready for that, you're not ready to lead. And yes, it's tough some days to be the one that has to shoulder all of this, but I would much rather have a council make a strong decision and take all of that heat on their behalf than be weak and make terrible decisions. Which some, which some might just call leadership. <laughs> Some some may call it that. <laughs> yeah. Curious, your role, how much of, the, you talked about the world stage. You talked about you know, Denver, you talked about Houston. Also, 
as we look to bring talent here, and I talk to a lot of tech startups and tech entrepreneurs and great talks with Terry Rock from Platform and so many international um, eyes are on us now. How much of do you see as your role to tell that story? Because I've heard before from many people that, oh, geez, Alberta, you know, we have a brand problem and people don't, don't really know how awesome it is here. And But yet they still come. I've recently had a conversation with Travel Alberta and some of the work they're doing and there's some fantastic numbers about, yeah, there might be some rhetoric, but people still come visit. As the council or as the mayor, how much time do you dedicate or how much do you see your role of being that face of the nation state? I, I like that one. Uh, for Calgary, out, out like versus everything you have to do in your own backyard, but helping to tell that story. How do you balance those two things? I think about that every day. <laughs> um, I take every opportunity to talk about our city. Um, doesn't matter how busy my schedule is. If we get a call from a national or international media outlet, we make time. We make time to have those conversations. I have done podcasts with the Monocle. Um, I've spoken with Politico. We had an opportunity to talk to Globe and Mail about what is the real Calgary? <laughs> yeah, totally. I'll talk about what the real Calgary is because you've got it wrong out east. So I do that all day, every day, and I'm not going to stop. I've got three and a half years left in this gig. I will keep talking us up. And the more I do that, the more other people feel that they can do it too. And I toss out names all the time about, you should talk to this person in this industry. They will tell you what it's really like here. So if we can get more of us telling a story and we don't all look the same, that bodes well. <laughs> yes, the, the story and the reality are not, they're, they're unfortunately very poorly, very poorly aligned. Someone who grew up out east, who grew up in Quebec, moving here, going back and my friends or family will say something, I'm like, what? Like, no, what are you even talking about? Where did you even get that from? But stereotypes and oversimplifications exist, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, curious, the, the arena deal, and not, I'm not asking, oh, what went wrong? How did it happen? I'm curious more about the future. This is a future, this, everything on the show is about, hey, how's the future going to be better than the past? Obviously, it feels like when we talk about revitalization, it talks about that whole entertainment district. It feels like it's such an anchor tenant that needs to be there. Curious, your, your thoughts on the way forward for that? I know it's a complex, but I couldn't not ask about it for sure. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I appreciate the way that you frame the question because it's talking about the entertainment district. It's talking about, you know, what does an anchor look like and what are the pieces of, of this puzzle, if you will. And so if you consider the fact that you know, a couple of decades ago, I think now, um, Mayor Dave Brancagne sat down with uh, then Premier Ralph Klein and said, look, we know that the east side of downtown has potential, but it's too much of a risk for the private sector to be, you know, the first person in hoping to get paid back for the infrastructure costs. Like you had to lift up the roadways, you had to invest a lot to get the infrastructure to a place where you could actually construct something. So, you know, both of them agreed that there was potential and they could make it work. And when Brancagne said there's a financing tool called tax increment finance, um, we think it could work here. Any uplift that you get stays in this district. Uh, the premier was very interested, but Klein didn't like the word tax. So we called it a community revitalization levy. And that's how okay. the CRL came to be. Uh, um, I'm very proud of the fact that our city got it right. We were the first ones to do this successfully in Canada, and it's paying off. Some of the uplift that we've seen has allowed us to invest in Arts Commons. It's allowed us to create the BMO Centre. Um, it's allowed us to build out East Village in a way that people, you know, flock there for events and festivals, and they want to live there. So 
we're getting it right, but again, it's a long game. And one of the components needs to be an event center that draws people in for um, different types of experiences. And I, I want to highlight this too. We've got to stop thinking of, you know, dated examples of conventions and events. Hmm. We can't keep talking about the Garth Brooks concert. We can't keep talking about the Rotary Club. Let's talk about the fact that Calgary Expo is one of the most beloved and well-attended events. And who would have thought that Calgary would have seen success with an event like that? Hmm. Let's talk about the future of gaming and what it means. People are flying all over the U.S. to go to gaming conventions and conferences. Why can't we have them here? You know, so, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in the future of what entertainment looks like. So, yes, I'm, I'm a big believer that an event center is an important piece of the entertainment district. But I think we got so obsessed with making it the lead piece. The first domino to fall is what people called it. That's a lot of pressure to put on one single project. But when you spend any time, I, again, I went for a bike ride the other night because it was warm out and I knew it was good. The weather was going to turn and I did the loop by the zoo and down and came through the East Village in that area. When you ride through there, it is a very different world than it was two, three, four, five. Like I've been in Calgary 20 years. You wouldn't bike ride through that area or you might have, have, have gone around it. It's not just about like that whole area has been, it's really interesting. If you haven't spent any time down there, this is my plug for it. I love that part of the city. But a few years ago, I didn't. And I think that that's something to be celebrated. Mm -hmm. Well, and if you think about the fact that Calgary Municipal Land Corporation is comprised of experts in city building that understand placemaking, placemaking to be the key to getting everything right, you know, as fluffy as that sounds to some people, it's not just about the buildings. It's not just about the construction process. It's about creating a city where it's an intersection between people and places. That's what's exciting about being in a city, turning a corner and going, wow, I didn't expect to see that. <laughs> so when you've got placemakers, leading a process of revitalization, you will always get it right. Uh, it's the space between the buildings that actually makes the difference that you walk. So it's, when you can travel in your own city and be surprised when you walk around the corner, you know you're doing something right. I think that's a good, that's a, that's a good rule. I think I'm going to try to live, live by yeah. that. Maybe a bumper sticker. So I got to ask, it's the Battle of Alberta. Game one was last night. It looked like more like we were watching a basketball game than a hockey game. <laughs> Even if you're not a hockey fan, you're a hockey fan right now. So d is there a bet going on between the mayor of Calgary and the mayor? I heard a little bit of rhetoric on CBC yesterday. So what, 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 is there anything going on behind the scenes? or What, what is actually happening? In, for, for, for you and the mayor of Edmonton right now? Well, Amarjeet and I were talking yesterday. Well, we're trash talking each other yesterday. Um, <laughs> that's what, I, that's what the, the audience, the that's what my audience shows. wants to hear. Mayor yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny when they, when they won game seven, he said, uh, he goes, yeah, I was waiting to see what was going to happen in your game. And so when we won, um, our game seven, he knew there'd be a message from me. And there was like probably 10 seconds after we won. Um, I said, hey, I got an idea. And so I gave him the night to think about it. But we, we ended up agreeing that we would, do, we would do something very nice and charitable and, you know, in keeping with the compassion that one should have in the world these days. And so um, there is a little guy named Ben who has brain cancer and he fought it once it's come back and he's a massive Oilers fan and the team has really rallied around him and supported him and his family and you know we thought what better than the losing city donating to a kids cancer association in the other city so we made that bet and so each member of council will donate personally towards that charity so that's nice um, then we did the typical you know you have to wear the other team's colors 
at the first council meeting following uh, the victory. But the best part, um, being a Seinfeld fan and just remembering when Putty showed up for a date with Elaine with full devil's face paint, um, I asked Mayor Sohi, you know, would you be in for that? And he said, yeah, okay, let's do it. So I'm really excited about driving up to Edmonton after we win to do his face paint for his <laughs> I love, I did not see you working Seinfeld into this conversation today, uh, Mayor Gondak. I think you did an excellent job. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm glad that you guys had, I love the good and I love the warm, but I love the, come on, we got to be a little frat on this a little bit and a little bit my team against your team kind of, kind of thing, uh, downright hazing. But um, let's see what happens. Last night was a fantastic game. If you wanted to see boring hockey, that was not it. It was fast paced, literally like watching a basketball game go back and forth from one end to the other. I was upstairs hearing my wife, you know, it's cheer amazing. and then boo and then cheer and then get excited. It was an emotional roller coaster. It was, it was, it was, it was great. Um, one question I love to ask kind of ending. Thank you so much for your time today, your honesty, and just willing to have a good old fashioned conversation. Question I've been asking more lately, and I'm always surprised with the answers. If I gave you the magic wand and it's your magic wand, you can do whatever you want with it. You can do a couple, a couple things, but if you were either going to just boom, this is now real, this has happened or knocking something out of the way, a barrier or some type of restriction or friction that's holding us back, what would you do with your magic wand? I'm going to give you like the cheesiest of all the answers. Um, I would sprinkle a little bit of compassion dust over everyone. I don't know what has happened to us as a society. I don't know where things went off the rails so badly. But the polarized nature of our conversations, of our relationships, the fragmentation is, it's tragic and it's frightening, the degree to which people are willing to take polarization. And I, I would love for people to just exercise a little bit of compassion when they're about to say or do something that could hurt somebody so terribly. And I, I don't just mean physically. Um, the things you say to people when they are already down can make or break them. And I don't think we consider that at all when we are talking to each other. I, as, as, I could agree with you more. And I think after the last two years, there's a lot of challenges and people aren't in a, in a great place where people need the hand up, not the hand down. And I think the two, last two years of pandemic have amplified that. And yeah, if we could just be a little nicer to each other, that would, that would be okay. I'm okay to end on that note. I think that's a nice way to end the day <laughs> or the end, end the conversation. Um, yeah. Mayor Gondek, thank you so much. Anything, any other parting words you'd like to leave with us? That was a great mic drop moment, so we don't need to say anymore. But anything else you'd like to share with Calgarians or certainly my audience? <laughs> Um, I would just like to share that I am uplifted every day that I hear from people who are feeling positive about our city. I'm excited to do this work every day. I'm proud to have this position. I am privileged to do this work. And every day that we walk together down the path to a, prosper, a prosperous future, we are going to be better. And it's that idea of collaborating and being willing to talk to each other and knowing that we will get out of this out of this time of, of depression, um, we'll be okay. So just, you know, everyone focus on, on what the future has to bring because it is bright and celebrate the little wins. I can't stress that enough. Celebrate the little wins in your life. Celebrate the little wins at work and let's celebrate the little wins that are bringing about a bright future for our city. Well said. Mayor Gondek, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you for the work you do, which I know is tireless. And as you mentioned, it is 20, it is 24 seven. And I look forward to seeing you at some future events, saying your saying and consistently sending out that positive message to Calgary and to the province. So thank you. And repeating my stats over and over again. 
They have power. They definitely do. Thank you so much. Thank you.